out of the way. Let's take our attention back to the book of Ruth. If you remember how the book of Ruth was going in chapter 1, we saw a famine in the land of Judah. And so you have in then the, the, the problem of it being the time of the judges. And that would explain why it's a famine as God is bringing about his judgment upon the people. And the famine becomes severe. And we see this woman named Naomi who's married to Elimelech and she has two sons. They move to Moab. And in the time that they moved to Moab, her two sons married two Moabite women. And we see tragedy strike the family. Naomi's husband dies as well as her two sons die. And in that there are no children that are born. And so what now sets up is a hopeless situation that there is no one to care for Naomi for the long term. And Ruth is willing to go back with Naomi. Here is Ruth who is not from Israel but a Moabite, but expresses her undivided loyalty and steadfast love to Naomi in chapter 1, verse 16, and said, I'm going to go where you go, and we're going to be in this together. And so with that tragedy underfoot, they go back to Israel. And if you remember, there is a much uh, questioning about, oh, here's Naomi, but in verse 20 we see as Naomi enters in, she says, do not call me Naomi, but call me Mara, for the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. I went away full and the Lord brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi when the Lord has testified against me and the Almighty has brought calamity on me? And so the first act of the story then of this account of Naomi is it's been a bad time over over this span of years and so she comes back and says it's been bitter it's been terrible don't don't call me pleasant don't call me sweet which is what Naomi's name means call me Mara call me bitter the the Lord has struck me with bitterness and he has judged me for these things and testified against me and has brought me back empty but we saw just a glimmer of hope at the end of verse 22 which said she had returned and it was the beginning of the barley harvest. Food had returned to Bethlehem. And so they have come back and it now appears that things are maybe going to change. And that then brings us into chapter 2 of Ruth. And so as we look at chapter 2, let's begin with the first few verses here of of this uh, event. Ruth 2. Now Naomi had a relative of her husband, a worthy man of the clan of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. And Ruth was a Moabite. Ruth, Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, Let me go to the field and glean among the ears of grain after him, in whose sight I shall find favor. And she said to her daughters, Go, my daughter. Or said to her, Go, my daughter. So she set out and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers. And, and she happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz, who was in the clan of Elimelech. And behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem and he said to the reapers, the Lord be with you. And they answered, the Lord bless you. Then Boaz said to the young man who was in charge of the reapers, whose young woman is this? And the servant who was in charge of the reapers answered, she is the young Moabite woman who came back with Naomi from the country of Moab. She said, please let me glean and gather among the sheaves after the reapers. So she came and she continued from early morning until now, except for a short rest. 
Then Boaz said to Ruth, Now listen, my daughter, do not go to glean in another field or leave this one, but keep close to my young women. Let your eyes be on the field that they are reaping and go after them. Have I not charged the young men not to touch you? And when you are thirsty, go to the vessels and drink what the young men have drawn. Then she fell on her face, bowing to the ground, and said to him, Why have I found favor in your eyes that you should take notice of me since I am a foreigner? But Boaz answered her, All that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband has been fully told to me, and how you left your father and mother in your native land and came to a people that you did not know before. The Lord repay you for what you have done, and a full reward will be given you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. And then she said, I have found favor in your eyes, my Lord, for you have comforted me and spoke kindly to your servant, though I am not one of your servants. At the mealtime, Boaz said to her, come here and eat some bread and dip your morsel in the wine. So she sat beside the reapers and she passed and he passed her the roasted grain. She sat until she was satisfied, she ate until she was satisfied and she had some left over. When she rose to glean, Boaz instructed his young men, saying, Let her glean even among the sheaves and do not reproach her. And also pull out some of the bundles for her and leave it for her to glean and do not rebuke her. So she gleaned in the field until evening. She beat it out. She beat out what what she had gleaned. And it was about an ephah of barley. She took it up and went to the city. Her mother-in-law saw what she had gleaned, and she brought. She also brought out and gave her what food she had left over after being satisfied. And her mother-in-law said to her, Where did you glean today, and where have you worked? Blessed be the man who took notice of you. So she told her mother-in-law with whom she had worked and said, This man's name with whom I work today is Boaz. Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, May he be blessed by the Lord whose kindness has, has not forsaken the living or the dead. Naomi also said to her, The man is a close relative of ours, one of our redeemers. And Ruth the Moabite said, Besides, he said to me, You shall keep close to my young men until they have finished all my harvest. Naomi said to Ruth, her daughter-in-law, It is good, my daughter, that you go out with his young women, lest in another field you be assaulted. So she kept close to the young women of Boaz until uh, gleaning until the end of the barley and the wheat harvest, and she lived with her mother-in-law. Pretty great story there. Now I'm going to see. I can see that there is something wrong with my PowerPoint, so I'm going to preach and, and try to fix it simultaneously because I don't know why that would be. I don't know why that would be wrong like that. But it's it's. You know, I, I, I spoke to you this morning about issues and age and <laughs> forgetfulness and, you know, I don't know what's the matter with me anymore. And, you know, I'm going to need a lot of mercy and grace I can see going forward and be, pray for my wife and <laughs> all the future of all of that. My goodness, what in the world is going on with this thing? Why would it be doing this? This, this you know... I feel like my dad now yelling at my computer about how it should have been this way and it wasn't that way, and that's quite terrible. Anyway, we've almost got it set up. Um, so one of the things that I think is interesting as the story begins here and regarding the account of 
of uh, Naomi and Ruth and, and their particular. Uh, predicament here is you have now introduced to the scene a man named Boaz verse 1 of chapter 2 introduces him and notice the description that's given to him it says that in the ESV he is a worthy man of the clan of of, uh, Elimelech Uh, a lot of translations are quite varied on what Boaz exactly is that sound awfully different while the ESV calls him a worthy man the New American Standard calls him a man of great wealth. The uh, Holman Christian Standard kind of combines that and says he's a prominent man of noble character. The Net calls him a wealthy, prominent man. The NIV says that he's a man of standing. I hope one of the things that you have learned uh, in my time with you is that when you pick up a bunch of translations and they all read something different, There's a reason for that. There's something going on that shows you that the original wording is not easy to interpret. And that's why there's so many different renderings and not to pick up one and go, well, that's wrong. I don't like that. There's a a function behind it. And what it is, is that this word means a mighty man of valor. It's used that way in Judges chapter six, verse 12. So you say, well, why not just translate it a mighty man of valor? Well, because that doesn't fit to the account at all. We don't see anything about him going into battle. We don't see anything about Boaz leading armies or anything like that. And so saying that he's a mighty man of valor in terms of an army doesn't really fit a description of what we're looking at here with Boaz. And so the question is, well, how is he then a mighty man of valor exactly if he's not if you're not talking about it in a military kind of way? And so that's why you have all these different ideas and they're probably all correct Because the text is going to show that in a spiritual concept, he's a very much a godly man. We're going to see that in the things that he says, as well as the things that he does. We're going to see that he is a wealthy man in regards to his fields and all that he has. And so that would be appropriate as well. And he also is a mighty man in regards to his influence and who he talks to. We get to chapter four and see how he handles all this situation. And so I think all of the translations are trying to get around the very idea. This is a good, godly, wealthy, influential, prominent man. And of course, you know, when you have only one word in the Hebrew, you can't really translate five words for one, but I think all of those basically fit the picture of what we see with Boaz. Not only that, verse 1 has a, a unique wording as well when it speaks to him as a worthy man of the clan of Elimelech and says that Naomi had a relative of her husband's. And the wording there suggests a great social distance that exists between Naomi and Boaz. And we would get a sense of that if Boaz is this wealthy, prominent, influential man. Well, we know that's not Naomi's condition. There is a major difference in the social and economic structure between the life of Boaz and the life of Naomi. Naomi's come back to Bethlehem and she doesn't have any way to be provided for. She's destitute at this point. In fact, that's what we're going to see in verse 2 is we need to go get some food and we're going to have to depend upon other people to be able to feed us. And Boaz is certainly not in that boat boat at all. And so the wording there in verse 1 is not just simply a relative of her husband's, but that 
Hebrew wording indicates a, a chasm exists in their social structure and their economics altogether. There's a, a play of distance be, between them that is being described. And so with that in mind, we are aware of this person named Boaz. Verse 2, we have Ruth telling Naomi, Basically, let me go glean. Let me go into the fields and glean. Now, glean in the scriptures was a provision that was given to the poor. Leviticus, as well as Deuteronomy, gives the instructions for that. And they were very important instructions was that the owners of the field, when they went into harvest, there were a couple of things that they were not allowed to do. They were not allowed to reap the whole field from end to end. They weren't supposed to take every Every bit of the harvest that was there, they were supposed to leave some behind. And so you left some of the things there so that people could come in through there and take some of that. Not only that, while harvesting, you would have food that would hit the ground. And that was to be left for those who would come behind and do that. And so this is what Ruth is telling Naomi. Let me go find a field and let me go get some food. Let me get some grain, some barley, since it's the barley harvest. Let me go and get some food for us. I'll go find a field where I can get some grain for us. And so that's what Naomi says, go ahead and do that. And now verses 3 and 4 are very fascinating in the way that God portrays what's happening. Verse 3, so she set out and, and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers, and she happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz, who was the clan of Elimelech. The wording here of she just happened of all the fields that could have been picked in the Bethlehem Judah region. She just so happened to come across Boaz Field, who is this distant relative of social structure. Verse 4 does the same thing. And behold... Boaz came from Bethlehem. So two things that are showing the providence of God. It just so happens that how about that? Ruth ends up in Boaz field. And oh, by the way, behold, it just so happens that Boaz is not in Bethlehem, but has come to check on his fields at the very same time that Ruth is in his field. And the whole intention of the wording sitting like that is to show God's doing something here. God is at work. The providence of God is moving. Even though Ruth doesn't know that, even though Naomi doesn't know that, even though Boaz doesn't know that, nobody knows that, but God is at work. And so there is intention that it's not just simply saying, oh, here's what happened, but it's, hey, behold, Boaz is there. And oh, it happened that she found this field. And the intention is not to say what a stroke of luck. But the intention is to say God is working through these things to bring about a response to Naomi and to Ruth who are in this need. And so a beautiful picture is going to begin to unfold. Not only this. You will notice a beautiful picture about Boaz when you see here in verse four and verse four, when Boaz arrives, he says to the reapers, the Lord be with you and the reapers respond, the Lord bless you. Now, remember, what's the days, what's the the time frame of the people this time is the days of the judges. This is not a time of morality. This is not a time of spirituality. It's not a time of people seeking after God. 
And so what you have here is in this statement, you are definitely getting a picture of look at the unique character of Boaz, who is godly. The Lord bless you. Oh, the Lord bless you. And and what a great picture you have of the kind of person he is as he begins to come into the scene. The very first words we read about him is about the Lord. The Lord be with you and the Lord bless you. And so we are getting a beautiful scene on our hands of we have found a good man in the days of wickedness and in the days uh, of evil. That Boaz would be a worthy man of noble spirit spiritual character and that's what then this book now begins to depict now notice as the scene unfolds a little bit it is particularly interesting because now you have in in verse five here's boaz saying whose young young woman is this who is this woman and who does she belong to and the question is who does she belong to in terms of who's the who's her husband or whose father is she from so where has she come from what's her background what's her lineage who is this woman who is going through gleaning and so they respond in verse six and say it's a young moabite woman who came back with naomi from the country of moab she said please let me glean and gather among the sheaves after the reapers and so she came and she has continued from early morning until now except for a short rest so they say this woman is the young moabite who came back with naomi and she hasn't stopped gleaning out there she has been gleaning all morning long she's just going to town out there and so you get a picture of how much the need is is she's gleaning she's gleaning she's gleaning she's going through and taking whatever she can to be able to have something for herself as well as for Naomi. Now I want you to listen to the kindness of Boaz in this because in verse 8 notice what Boaz says to Ruth. Now listen my daughter do not go to glean in another field or leave this one but keep close to my young women let your eyes be on the field that they are reaping and go after them have I not charged the young men not to touch you and when you are thirsty go to the vessels and drink what the young men have drawn. This is amazing kindness and generosity on Boaz's part. Here's Boaz saying don't go anywhere else. It's fine if you stay here and grab whatever you can in the gleaning. Don't feel like you have to leave here and go work another field as well. You stay here. And not only that, you go and be with the young women where you will be safe. And not only that, follow behind my harvesters and you gather all that you could possibly want. I've instructed the young men to leave you alone and to not harass you in any way whatsoever. And then perhaps the greatest blessing of all of these things is to say, and When you're thirsty, drink from the vessels that my young men have drawn from the well and have pulled up in these vessels. You go ahead and drink from those vessels just like anybody else who was a part of my family or a part of my reapers. You drink from that as well. Stunning generosity to the stranger. And Ruth grasped that because, notice verse 10, she falls on her face, bowing to the ground. Why have you found faith? Why have I found favor in your eyes that you should take notice of me since I am a foreigner? Why would you be so kind to me? 
you could just say, okay, that's enough. You've been gleaning all morning. How much do you need? Stop already. You know, time to go. No, stay here. Don't go to another field. You have my protection. Follow right behind the harvesters and grab whatever you can. All that you need is yours. Drink from the water that we have. Told the young men to stay away and, and you're protected and safe. And here's Ruth just stunned. Why would you do that for me? Listen to his answer. Verse 11. All that you have done for your mother-in-law since the day, since the death of your husband has been fully told to me and how you left your father and your mother and your native land and came to a people that you did not know before. Notice what he says. He says, I have heard of your loyalty. Now we read back there in chapter 1 and verse 16 of her saying, Where you go, I will go, and I will be with you through thick and thin, and even till you die, I will be with you. He goes, we've heard of that. I know what you've done. I know the sacrifice you made. You could have gone back to Moab, and you could have found your own way and had a much better chance of life that way. And you decided to stay with Naomi and come to Israel and be a foreigner, to be an outsider, and you willingly did that. And so he says, I have heard of your faithfulness. And so listen to what he says in verse 12. The Lord repay you for what you have done and a full reward be given you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. You see what Boaz is doing? You see what he's saying? He says, The reason why I am showing you this kindness and generosity is I'm aware of your steadfast loyalty and love that you displayed to Naomi. How you were willing to sacrifice and give of yourself and come back with her. And then goes on to say, let the Lord repay you for what you've done. A full reward be given to you, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. What Boaz is saying is, May God bless you, and I see myself as the one to be the one to do that. Why have you been so kind to me? You let me drink from the water of the vessels that there that was drawn up. Why are you letting me glean as much as I, I want? Why are you not making me go away? Why are you protecting me? Why are you saying, don't go to another field and stay right here as much as I want? Because Boaz sees himself as an instrument of God's blessing. Boaz says, may God bless you. And he then goes about being the one to do the blessing. He's going to do that himself and provides everything that she needs and is giving her free reign from the field to be able to do this. This is one of the beautiful pictures that is given here in the book of Ruth. And it is a beautiful picture for us as well to be able to see ourselves in the very same light of how we are able to be instruments of God's providence to those who are hurting, that we can be a blessing to other people. And that's what Boaz sees is I can be a blessing to Ruth. I can be a blessing to Naomi. I'm going to do something about it. This is not Boaz doing like the, the great parable of just looking at Ruth and saying, well, be warmed and filled and go your way. I will be the instrument to help you. You stay here. I will provide for you. I will give you what you need. I will show my kindness and generosity to you. Let me be the one to bless you. Let me be the one 
one to be the one to help you through this. And so it's a beautiful picture that is being given. Boaz does not begrudge Ruth. You know, here's the worker saying, you know, she's been out there all day and he doesn't go out there and be like, you need to just back off a little bit and slow it down. That's, that's my harvest out there. Doesn't begrudge her in the slightest, but rather what you see him do is go well above and beyond what is necessary for her. In our study in the Sermon on the Mount, we saw in Matthew chapter 5, there is this description of being willing to go the extra mile and to give to the one who begs of you. The great pictures here that the Sermon on the Mount was describing of this willingness to go and do. And here is this great picture of Boaz doing that very thing that he's not willing to do the minimum but goes above and beyond for Ruth what a beautiful picture and I think it's wonderful then that we see a desire to be the conduit of God's blessings over in Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 28 you have the apostle Paul saying let the thief no longer steal but rather let him labor doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. And it's a great declaration here. This is what Boaz does. Here is Ruth. And let me be the one to help. Let me be the one to provide. And then, if that were not enough, I want you to see that the blessings now really go over the top. In verse 14, And at mealtime, Boaz said to her, Come here and eat some bread and dip your morsel in the wine. So she sat beside the reapers and he passed to her roasted grain and she ate until she was satisfied and she had some left over. The law doesn't say you have to do that anywhere. While he may be under compulsion of allowing the gleaning, he doesn't have the compulsion of you stay here and don't go to another field. And you don't have the compulsion of you can drink my water that we've drawn and put in vessels and you can have that. And then when it becomes to mealtime, he doesn't leave her out there and says, come on in, be inside with us, be among the reapers, eat with them, eat until you're satisfied, eat until you even have leftovers. In fact, later in the text, it says she takes the leftovers home and gives them to Naomi. An abundant blessing Boaz is pouring out for Ruth and for Naomi. And one of the great little images here is of Ruth not being treated like an outsider, but being given equal status among those who are in the house. Here's the reapers and enjoying the same status to be able to eat alongside of them, to now harvest alongside of them. Look, listen to verse 15. And when she rose to glean, Boaz instructed the young men saying, let her glean even among the sheaves and do not reproach her and also pull out from the bundles for her and leave it for her to glean and do not rebuke her. That's the best. Okay. So Boaz says, not only stay in my field and harvest all you want and walk behind the harvesters and stay with the young women and have my protection and have the water and eat a meal in my home and eat till you're satisfied and you can have the leftovers as well. When she goes to go back out to glean, he says to his workers, now here's what I want you to do. When you're gathering it all up, be sure to pull some out and throw it behind you so that she can gather that up too. What an amazing, generous man that we're seeing here. 
He doesn't have to do that. He doesn't have to instruct them. Now be sure to drop a bunch as you go so that she can have as much as she needs. Ruth now, amazingly blessed. And that that's just... <laughs> when she comes to that, she, verse 17, she gleans in the field until evening. She beat out what she had gleaned. And it was about an ephah of barley. That doesn't mean an awful lot to us. Except I can just tell you, that is an awful lot of food. <laughs> it is an amazing amount of barley. So much so, look at verse 19. When, when Ruth comes in, notice what my mother-in-law, here's what Naomi says. Where did you glean today? <laughs> look at what you've brought. Where were you that you brought all of this food? And where have you worked? Blessed be the man who took notice of you. Clearly, you have the favor of somebody to basically bring in all of this grain. And so again, we are seeing a beautiful picture. And notice what Naomi is now understanding in verse 20. May he be blessed by the Lord whose kindness has not forsaken the living or the dead. Here she speaks of Boaz and says, may God bless him because we have through Boaz that we have not been forsaken. She's calling themselves the dead. They're doomed coming back to Israel. They have no husband, no children, no way of provision, no way to be cared for. And to say that may, may Boaz, may he be blessed by the Lord whose kindness has not forsaken the living or that it is kindness would even be bestowed upon us. Notice Naomi is saying the same thing, that Boaz is a conduit of the blessings of God to them. And she recognizes that. And now we've gone from in chapter one where Naomi says, my life is bitter. God's hand has been heavy against me. That you have these pictures of how the Lord has testified against me. He has been bitterly uh, living or working against me. Now you have this reversal that says, May Boaz be blessed by God because he has been willing to pour out these blessings upon us that we are able to enjoy. Notice one other thing that is stated after she finds out who this is. It says there in verse 20, explaining who this name, we also said to her, the man is a close relative of ours, one of our redeemers. Now that's an important word that's being brought in right here. And it's important to understand what that word means to the flow of the story that's going to happen the rest of the way. Some of the translations use a, a bunch of different words to try to get at the idea. And it's important that they do that because when we read Redeemer, I think in our New Testament context, we kind of start thinking about some kind of forgiveness of sins, spiritual Redeemer. And that's not at all what's in view when you use that word. This word for Redeemer, some use guardian or family Redeemer or guardian guardian redeemer was a relative that was responsible for the economic well-being of another relative if they hit some kind of crisis. And so that was what their charge was. In fact, what he's, she's basically saying in a word that I think would work for us in understanding this redeemer idea is that Boaz is one of our family benefactors and that's why he's doing the things that he's doing. I wanted to give you just some of the things that the scripture 
scriptures say about what a redeemer was supposed to do. That one of the things that the redeemer then would act is that he would purchase the clan property sold out of economic necessity, thus keeping the land in the clan. I think we'll see that in chapter 4, that he's going to operate on that basis and trying to keep the family inheritance and keep the land of that family. This guardian family redeemer was responsible for trying to maintain that if possible. Uh, buying the clan members out of slavery if he had the money to do so. So in the case of a redeemer of blood, pursuing and taking vengeance on anyone who killed a clan member. You might remember the cities of refuge. That the individual would also respond in that way. And so you would be the bringer of justice and you would set the person free out of economic slavery if they had, had just put themselves into debt. Uh, finally, also, or third, acting as a clan representative to receive restitution money due to a deceased clan member so they could act on behalf of the family and then finally you would assist the clan members in any lawsuits to see justice the reason why I want you to see these things is I want to put some color to what you're going to see later is that there is absolutely no requirement for Boaz in regards to marriage that's not on the table as a redeemer that's not his role and not required of him at all his job is just trying to keep the land within the family, care for that economic despair. And that's what we already begin to see him do is he allows Ruth now to be able to glean from the field, to give her extra and to say, now you come back to this field as much as you want to. He's now beginning to do that. We're going to see much more of this unfold in the next few chapters that we'll look at in the next couple of weeks. But Let's round out this chapter with a a few observations. We've already made two observations that I'll remind you of, and then we're going to look at one more. First, a reminder is that we are able to see that God can be at work in our lives and be bringing a blessing to us even though we don't see it. That's one of the things that Naomi doesn't see. My life is bitter. God is heavy against me and is not seeing how God is at work already. That God is accomplishing great things. And thus you are seeing the providence of God already on display as chapter two opens with Boaz happens to be there at that time. And Ruth happens to be in the right field and is all playing out by the hand of God that God is at work bringing a blessing to the family after the disaster that they've had. One of the things that I think is so important about that for us is sometimes we will have the tendency to criticize God for something that we think he ought to be doing when we have no idea what God's already done. I mean, we just be like, God, why aren't you doing something? And I mean, here'd be a great scene where God would be like, I'm doing an awful lot right now. Just wait, get to chapter four already. You'll see. Uh, That's the picture of what God is doing is God can be at work. And we may not see any of it as it is unfolding. It all looks like bitterness. And by the way, consider even though we have found a family redeemer who is showing kindness to Ruth. That doesn't mean everything is all fixed for Naomi at this point in the slightest. Things are not now all better and they lived happily ever after. There's still a lot of trouble that lies ahead of them. And this has been a great blessing of this harvest. But the long-term prospects for Ruth and Naomi are still quite bleak. But they have been given provision for right now. And they have found the blessing of God to carry them through in the moment. 
The second observation that we have talked about already is that we should see ourselves as instruments then in the process of showing God's providence to others, that we should be the ones who don't just simply say, be warmed and filled, but we would also look for the opportunity to do good and to show the kindness of God, to consider that the wealth that we have and the things that we have are a way for us to show the blessings of God and the goodness of God to other people. To me, this fits hand in glove with what we looked at this morning, that we do not look at the treasures of earth and go, they're all mine, they're all mine, it's all mine, but I'm trying to use what God has given me to store up treasures in heaven. And we see Boaz doing that. God has richly blessed Boaz. And Boaz says, well, let me see how I can be a conduit of good blessing to Ruth and Naomi, which Ruth and Naomi themselves recognize. And then number three, one that we haven't talked about yet. And it's closely tied with this is that even in our disaster, even in our pain and even through our tragedy and even through our distress, God is absolutely at work. And one of the powerful things that chapter two ought to bring to our hearts is the knowledge that God is able to work through disaster. He is able to work through distress. He is able to bring blessing even through tragedy. I mean, this is an awful tragedy that has happened to Naomi. This is a devastating time in her life. And yet even through that pain and even through that suffering and through that disaster, God is able to bring a blessing. And already it is beginning where they have found a redeemer, someone who is able to bring them the promise of help, to bring them the promise of protection and security and hope. And how often God works through pain and suffering to bring us a blessing and to give us help in our time of need. And I would submit that more often than not, it is very hard to see, if not impossible to see, what the blessing is going to be when you're in the midst of the tragedy, when you're in the midst of distress When you're in the midst of pain and suffering, it is hard to begin to understand what God could be doing, how this could work out for anything good, how there could be anything positive to take away from that, how God could be blessing. It is one of the darkest times when you're going through that distress and pain. And to see that God is able to make radical changes through pain and suffering, through distress, to bring a blessing. I have shared that with you many times. I'll share it with you again. That, as you know, when I was in elementary school, my parents divorced. And that was... Uh, uh, a terrible time in my life. I, there's no way for me to begin to explain or describe the pain and the difficulty that uh, proceeded out of all of that. Um, it was a pain and suffering that lasted for years and years and years. I didn't see how there was going to be any way there'd be anything useful or good or positive out of any of that. It was absolutely destructive in every possible way. And as I've told you, but it was only because of that, that would cause me to end up going to Florida College. 
I would have never left California for sure. If anything, I would have gone north, maybe to Oregon, but it certainly wasn't going to go to Florida. It's hot out here. Why would I leave San Diego? I would have never gone to Florida College. If I never go to Florida College, I certainly never meet my wonderful wife and have the current family situation that I have. And if I don't go to Florida College and that divorce doesn't happen, dad doesn't leave San Diego and go to Arkansas, where now it becomes possible for me to enter a training program to teach me how to preach, and so thereby I'd be able to be a preacher. At the time, it's just pain, suffering, misery, and distress. But there is a way for God to bless through pain, suffering, and distress. And that's what's happening here to Naomi. It's not making things all better, but God is blessing through the tragedy. God is at work through the difficulty that there is a way for life to be changing and moving and altering and just changing it all up. And God is bringing a blessing through that. And how often that is exactly how God works. Even through the sin of other people, God is able to bring a blessing. The most notable of that for us should always be the cross. Through the sin of Judas comes the blessing to the world. That's how God operates, is through tragedy, through sin, through suffering, through distress. God is always able to bless and he will do so. Ruth chapter 2 gives us that hope. That in chapter 1, you have a Naomi who is bitter. Her life is bitter. There seems to be no hope. There appears to be no blessing. They're just simply the dead in Israel. They're doomed in their future. And here is God, through His providence, by no miracle, pushing things together so that Naomi and Ruth would be provided for And God's not done with these two people yet. Greater things are still to unfold for Naomi as the rest of the story unfolds. Next week we'll look at those things. Let that be a hope for your life if you are in pain, that you can put your hope and trust in Jesus Christ. Because He has suffered for you, He has given His life for you, He loves you, and I pray that we would all seek to have a deeper faith To trust God all the more because He loves His people and He does bless His children. He truly cares for us. Do not allow the circumstances and the pain and the suffering of this life to ever cause you to consider that God does not love you and that God does not care. God can bless through difficulty. God can bless through distress. God can change your life and be at work through the most miserable of circumstances, through the greatest of sins. God can stand greater than those things. Put your hope in God. Turn away from a life of sin and believe in Him with all of your heart. Will you come and join to His group? Will you belong to His His family? Will you be a child of God? Won't you come now while we stand?